Hi, this is David Vincent, and I'm the superintendent of schools for the Wiley Independent School District. And I'm joined by my co-host, Amanda Martin. Hi, I am the director of counseling services in the Wiley Way, and welcome to the Achieving Kids podcast. This is a conversation featuring experts and subjects related to raising happy, successful children in today's world. On each broadcast, parent guests will join in and provide their perspective on current trends and issues our kids face in school, society, and at home. Our goal is to provide a better understanding of how the decisions we make help promote the best interests of our kids and community. We will tackle big subjects, entertain different viewpoints, but the focus will always be on equipping you with the strategies that will help them become achieving kids. The topic for today's podcast is learning all about the State Board of Education, and we are joined by the chair of the State Board of Education, Donna Bohorich. As chair of the State Board of Education, Donna Bohorich is committed to preparing all children to be productive, engaged citizens. She has worked diligently to approve and promote college and career readiness courses, including stronger career and technical education courses, leading to increased opportunities for students after high school. And she brings experience in business, education, and legislation to the position, and we are so excited that you're here. Okay, we are joined today by some awesome guests, Amanda. Isn't this awesome? Yes. I'm so excited. Well, and we always try to choose our guests based on who we're going to talk to. And I think that we've done a great job of getting some folks that are big decision makers. I always say this. We have some people are politicians and public servants. I've got public servants here who really want to do what's best for us. And so Susie Cannon is our PTA guru. She has always done so much uh, for us. And so Susie, welcome to the podcast. Happy to be here. And Susie is going to be the Texas PTA president-elect. And so she has to remind me, I always just say she's the PTA president, and she always says it's two more years. But I say, I'm trying to extend it. We're also joined by Barbara Goss. Barbara? Hi. Glad to be here. And Barbara is one of our board members and was a board president a couple of times ago. And uh, we are also really glad to have not very many guys around the podcast, Mitch Herzog. Yeah, I feel special. <laughs> Right, you should. Me and you. (laughs) Board President Mitch Herzog. In the introduction, you had the chance to hear all of this amazing laundry list of accomplishments from our actual guest today, Donna Bohorich, the chair of the State Board of Education. So welcome. I am really honored to be here. I, I Believe it or not, I don't get many opportunities like this. So this is really a thrill for me. So the thing is, it's kind of the truth because when I went and Googled and looked and there's not very many opportunities where local districts talk to state boards of education. And so my first question to board members, my first question to you will be, why in the world would you want to be on a school board? And now you're on the state Board of Education. Tell us a little bit about why. You know, um, it's really kind of interesting. The The previous uh, holder of this particular office in our district kind of called me out of the blue. She, she knew about me. We knew each other uh, through passing things in political arenas. Um, but I had worked a long time in the county uh, working with um, the community as a district director for then Senator Dan Patrick. And so I had a lot of connections in the community. And uh, when she called me and said, hey, I'm not going to run for this office again, I think you'd be really great at this if you'd really be interested in it. And I 
it was so out of the blue. I had to take a few days to think about, you know, do I want to run for public office? Is this something that I really want to put myself out for? I'm a worker bee person. I'm not, you know, let me, let me stand up there, wave the flag, run down the field. I'm just not that kind of person. I, I just like to get things done. I'm a, I want to stop you and say this, everybody, you can't see this because there's not a visual. Everybody that were the worker bees were already nodding their head. <laughs> and, um, and so after thinking and, and honestly praying about it for a few days, talking to my family, I realized I had read three public education books for fun that year. Uh, for fun. Uh, Just a little light reading. <laughs> yeah, a little light reading. And they were heavy duty books. Um, and I realized that if there was ever an office that I was going to run for and seek to serve in, it would be on uh, an office dealing with education. And um, and so I decided to go ahead and put my hat in the ring and uh, have just not looked back since. I mean, it's, you know, I do look back just to make sure that <laughs> something's not coming at me. But... Oh, yeah. Walking a zigzag pattern to your car. Yeah, exactly. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. My car's been keyed a few times. There you go. <laughs> you know, but it's it's the kind of thing that, um, you know, you really got to have a heart for because it, it is hard and you've got to have thick skin and you've got to say, you know what, I have a, a bigger goal than my own personal you know, comfort level, it's, it's much bigger than that. And if you're not in that position that with that personality and with that focus, then it, it is hard. But if that's your focus, that the rest of it, you know, it, you just keep on moving because you got stuff to do. Amanda, I always say we get paid for our jobs and they do this for free. <laughs> well, and I think that we're so grateful that you're here because a lot of people just doesn't, they don't really know what the state board of education does, like the function of the state board. Could you just kind of tell us about that? Yeah, probably the, the biggest thing that we do um, and something that's super important to the children of Texas is we're the fiduciary of the permanent school fund. Um, that fund is sitting at $44 billion um, as we speak. And um, the funding from that, the interest and dividends and, and the, the earnings are, are given out every two years at the legislative session in order to support students. Um, and part of that support comes back in the form of what, you know, quote, textbooks and instructional materials and uh, technology that's used in the classroom. So it's a direct route to the classroom that the board provides through uh, what we send over to the legislature. So we take that responsibility very seriously and have a very diverse portfolio and have had great earnings um, for many years on that. And that is our only constitutional duty. The rest of the things that we do on the board and what you hear about in the papers all the time um, are really at the pleasure of the legislature. And that is uh, approving curriculum standards and textbooks that are aligned to the standards and then approval for were the final approval for charter school authorizations in the state of Texas, the public school charters, as well as graduation requirements. So those are, I mean, there are several other things we do, but those are kind of the main ones. Yeah. And that is your, uh, the cultural vanguard as far as when people ask different things and about what's in textbooks, what's in curriculum. We had an issue a couple of years ago with math. Um, the state board heard us, listened, and did things with that. It was really impressive, and yeah. we're very grateful for, for how you helped us with that. So let's ask you this. How many actual board members are there? There are 15 board members, and we've all got, well, there'll be a new census coming up in 2020, but 
Right now, it's about 1.8 million in each district. So it's not like when you're running for office, you can walk the district. It's it's way too many people. Um, So, uh, but all of us have that. It's kind of spread out. Mine is pretty compact. And so I've only got like nine school districts that I interact with, which is really easy compared to a lot of them. Uh, Mr. Rowley, I think, has got 100. And I I don't even know how many districts he's got. Uh, up in the Amarillo area, but it's a lot. I'm from that area. <laughs> so school board members, local school board members, you know what you do. And I'm going to ask you the same thing, but school board members, what would you think your hardest thing to do as a school board member is? And then what do you think your most difficult job is as a state board member? Do you have a, you have a thought about that? Because I, I can give you a couple of primers <laughs> that I think are tough. <laughs> Well, I would say uh, I don't know if there's one particular uh, super hard thing right now. I, I know um, this doesn't even come into play, everything we're talking about right now, but um, lately I've had more people than ever approach me with school security. So, um, you know, when you say what's something hard, well, we have some decisions to make with security, and there's a lot of different avenues that we could choose. And I think as school board trustees, we need to be very open-minded and one of the things that I deal with with myself is I always tend to think I know the answer before I get all the facts. And, and I can't do that on this. And I need to be very open-minded. So I'm, I'm trying to do that. Absolutely. I absolutely agree that school safety, it's, it's a hot topic in the media, but it's also a hot topic among ourselves. You know, how do we keep all these kids safe and, and do it in the most responsible way so that the kids feel safe, so that it's a warm environment, that kind of thing. I know that's one of the things that y'all have been talking about in your long range planning with the state board of education. Is that correct? What What is some of the discussion about that? Um, yes, on the long range plan for public education, which the board just approved in November, 2018, that's been a very long process involved 12 community meetings, um, where we had over 600, uh, plus folks come to those meetings personally. We also put out a large online survey to gather feedback and heard from, um, close to 12,000 Texans, uh, regarding what they, what their thoughts are about, uh, the future of public education and where we should go. And so as part of the report, we decided to break it down into only four areas. And there's so many areas in public education that you can talk about. But we decided to concentrate on just four areas. And those are equity and access, student engagement and empowerment, uh, family engagement and empowerment, and um, educator preparation, recruitment, and retention as well as the long range plan for technology, which is also embedded um, in our plan. And so as part of that, we're looking at what does it take to uh, make sure that all of our students are successful and that we are able to um, provide the type of education and the type of guidance and help to, to get them envision, if you will, kind of help them seek the vision for their own educational journey. And so there are some great parts of the report. One of them uh, is about specifically about students being engaged in their own journey, taking it as a personal journey, not as, okay, I've got to have, the adults are telling me I need to do this. The state is saying, take this, take this assessment. You know, this is what you need to do because it's good for you. I mean, that's kind of the way so many students go about their education. I have to do this. So what the vision that we have in the long range plan is that students would instead 
be a part of that journey and embrace that journey as they're going through it. And so to be more creative and more um, engaged on that. One of the other things as part of this discussion on the long range plan for public education was the fact that there is such a need and there's so much talk about this today about multi-tiered systems of support for every student in a school. And that is a massive undertaking, but I would submit also a necessary undertaking. You know, how many times have we heard that student fell through the cracks? We didn't realize, um, especially when you're talking about some of the security issues that parents get concerned about. And so in order to be realistic about a multi-tiered system of support for all students in a school, you also have to have a way to manage that big data because that's a lot of data coming in and uh, it needs to be connected to what now is currently in silos and that is academic indicators, um, behavioral indicators, the service providers that um, provide services both internally by the school on the school campus and then the ones who come in externally to provide services as well. But how do you tie all that together? I mean, that is something that is important that needs to be done Absolutely. if you're ever going Absolutely. to get to a multi-tiered system of support for all students. And so I'm blessed because in my particular um, area of the state, Houston ISD has been using a system that does that very thing, connects those silos and provides the counselor and those in charge of uh, providing support services for students an ability to look on a dashboard and figure out what is going on with all the students. There's also algorithms built on that that drops the that notifies the counselor if grades are dropping, absences have picked up. You know, before an adult even says, "Hey, you know, little Susie's got a problem. Can you check out what's going on with her?" Um, and so that kind of work to me is where we need to head in public education if you're really going to be serious about understanding and helping and supporting all the students you've got to do more than provide um, individualized education plans the IEPs for, for just certain students it has to be a much broader look but you've got to manage all that and so the idea in the, in the long-range plan is that the state would incentivize that approach to schools by kicking in some school district kicks in some that that would be in Donna's ideal world exactly how this would work state would pay half um, and the school districts would pay half for a system like that that could help them pull all that data together in order to effectively help kids I love that and talking about school safety you're looking at the whole child you're looking at the whole picture I feel like sometimes especially with the media or when we're talking like there's a focus on like one little aspect but it, it really is a big picture it's you know and you can't solve the problem by just looking at one little piece of it so that's that's good well I like when you were talking about managing the data and you're you're so right you can manage it all you want but if we don't have a system in place to take action it's not going to do any good. Yeah, absolutely. And so often, I, I what really bothers me, uh, all these great plans um, about, you know, we need to do this with our kids. We need to do that with our kids. And all of those are very true, you know, anti-bullying and, you know, all of those kinds of things that you want uh, going on with your children. But my concern is always, well, it ends up being on the backs of the teachers. And I've, I feel like unless you put a system in place that allows some of that relief, if you will, that while the teacher might know about something, a teacher's job in a system that where it's able to manage all that data is to drop a ticket in the system. That starts a whole um, bit of 
work with that student. The counselor now has it in the system that the, the child is not going to get dropped through the cracks because they've been inserted into the system. And then um, the system actually, if it's done well, will automatically notify the teacher, hey, the, your, the student that you reported as needing some support so is now seeing whatever the support provider is and um it doesn't have to check hey did you what did you ever do with you know that thing that i gave you so the system i did you know automatically find students that haven't been reported by adults as issues based on absences based on grades dropping and other factors but it also needs to notify those who have assigned with um things to let them know the status, just to kind of keep them up with what's going on and that services are being provided. And did did the provider show up like they were supposed to? We need to also know, you know, we've contracted and we spend millions of dollars throughout the state of Texas for support providers. We also need to know, is that effective? Are they working well with our kids? Those math tutors that we brought in to help with our uh, math, you know, are we seeing score differences for our children that are engaged with those tutors to kind of help? And so those are the kinds of things right now we don't have a handle on, but something that whose time is coming. And I think it's a, an absolute necessity if we're ever going to really look at all the students in a, uh, inside of school. I think as you look at your plan, you're seeing, obviously, you're going to need some funding for oh, some yeah. of these. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> right. But do you foresee any legislation necessary to enact the plan? Um, I mean, there's lots of things in here. Uh, one thing I will tell you that I'm pretty excited about is another big ask just kind of knowing the importance of parents um, in supporting their students. One of the, the visionary statements, one of the recommendations is to have a state level parent engagement and empowerment panel that would have a diversity of parents across the state be representative and could advise policymakers in in both all the way at a state level, but also down to a local level as to really what parents would recommend. The PTA is a great example of an organization who's put together a tremendous amount of resources on their website um, that we looked at when we were looking at the long range plan as to what does parent engagement empowerment mean? Like, what do you do to do that? And actually the, the national PTA site has tremendous resources on that. And I would recommend that for any parent looking at how to talk um, to teachers and what your st students should be doing in a general sense at um, the different levels in, of grades. I, I love that site. There's great resources on the national PTA site. So it was things like that that helped us as our panels were looking, steering committee was looking at what are some recommendations at a state level that we should recommend. It was clear to me that the time has come that a parent engagement panel of advisors to help with policymaking is long past due. So the commissioner, I believe, uh, believes in this vision as well and has already requested the funding, which we hope will come from the legislature, to be able to put a panel like that together. So I think that vision is going to come through pretty quickly because everyone says, oh, yeah, we need to do that at a state level. So pretty exciting. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. If you look at our success, we went, according to the College Board, 2018 results. 2013, 51% of our kids were actually enrolled and going to college from the, after their senior year. We've increased that to 81%. And that 30 plus percent increase is by doing exactly what you're doing. We have an achievement profile for every kid. We request that they, as part of House Bill 5, 
parents, you're going to love this. Is and you know this already. We call it Wally Asti. I have a plan, and they have to create and follow through with a career experience. But that tracking system with CCMR is like you're saying very very unwieldy in the process of getting one get, getting what needs to be accomplished accomplished and so i'm going to come back to and ask you know you what is your hardest job as state board chair you know um education is an area that everyone has an, a strong opinion on they just oh. don't have an opinion yes. <laughs> they have a strong opinion right. about it because we've all been to school right and so you understand when you've experienced something yourself you have very very strong ideas about what ought to be and what isn't effective and what is effective or whatever and so i would say that is the strongest challenge that I have is how do you manage all of those diversity of opinions? And they are literally all over the map, depending on what the subject is and that sort of thing. You, you've got to, and where I've spent a lot of my focus as the board chair is focusing on the processes that we use as a board, as a board to take in that opinion, filter through and, and make sure we've listened and, and paid attention to what people are saying. And then at the end of the day, the legislature has has given us the authority to call the balls and the strikes. But you've got to have a system in place that isn't just you're just kind of marching through because you have the authority. No, you have to have a system in place that gives you a, a, a solid process. So while Texans may not as a as a whole agree with the end product that you end up with they should agree that the process you put together was was a good process and they can't fault you for the process I give you a prime example of that social studies is probably the hottest topic that the board considers there's no doubt about it and everyone has an opinion about what should and should not be in our curriculum standards um, but by the time we got to second reading which is our final adoption of what we just went through, which was, we called it a streamlining. We were just trying to cut back on content because we had like 110 standards for eighth grade versus um, versus uh, what we'd have in English, which is like 60 standards. I mean, it was like big difference. So we were trying to cut back on the amount of content that teachers had to cover that were part of the requirements. So we just finished that process. And by the time we got to second reading, you know, we only had like 35 testifiers. That That is unheard of. Um, the State Board of Education, when we went through social studies the last time, I mean, there were hundreds of people. National cameras were there, and it was just this big, big deal, big, big deal, made national news and international news. So, um, so but I think because the board has worked on our processes and made them more robust and much more inclusive. There were so many drafts that you could follow along the line and knew exactly what was going on and kind of where things were. The only focus at the end of the day that people even, you know, made headlines was about Helen Keller and Hillary Clinton. I mean, literally, that was that was it to speak of. And so it was, it was pretty amazing. You know, I, I was really excited about it because I feel like, we finally are getting to where that process is something that folks can get behind, even if they don't agree with the final, final decision. So when you think about this, conversely, board members, Susie, Donna, when you look at this, what is your most enjoyable thing about your job or your role in your current position? When something works <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, yes. <laughs> So, I, well, like I said, getting through social studies the way we did and how cleanly we finalized that um, and some of the positive things that we ended up correcting in the standards and, and kind of uh, 
doing well. I just, I get excited about stuff like that. And I know it's like really hard to say, I did this amazing process and people are like, yay, process. People don't care about that. <laughs> but when you put things in place and they work and it makes a difference and you get to a good place um, that you feel happy about. Um, I, I, another example was um, on uh when we did ethnic studies on Mexican-American ethnic studies, and we were, for the first time, the board approved that this year. And we were able to get unanimous votes on that all the way along the, the, the way. And we're the first state in the country that I know of, and I don't believe, and we've checked around, that um, has approved Mexican-American studies for students. But we believe the reason that particular course could be powerful and the quality of the standards is so well done. HISD had put an innovative course together that they were doing locally that we adopted basically at a state level. Uh, and it's such a high quality course that we believe that that's going to engage more Mexican-American students in their own history and how their history is our history. It's part of our history and um, to make those bigger connections. And so things like that you know, when those things work and I can get agreement of the entire board on what can be sticky sometimes um, and where people have very diverse opinions, you know, that's exciting to me. Uh, that That is moving things forward in a positive way. So, guys, what is your greatest moment, funnest thing, most rewarding? What would you say? Well, I will say when I first ran, I, I ran for uh, financial transparency, public trust, and Barbara's looking at me right now. She knows where I'm going with this. And and one of the things that's happened after being on the board for years is um, um, I've become a little soft, and, and I really enjoy seeing the kids, and it's very humbling. And I didn't anticipate this happening when I ran for the board. So when you say what is the most rewarding thing, I would, from a very simplistic standpoint, just say um, I enjoy seeing the kids and, and, and seeing the difference that, that we really uh, do make. And it, it's extremely humbling to me as a person because I'm, I'm – it, no, is, I'm, I'm, it is yeah. incredibly rewarding. Yeah. We we get to see the we get to see the benefits like firsthand, you know, like up close and personal, you know, we so that's Absolutely. really cool. I think for me, I mean that's incredibly rewarding. But another thing that I find really rewarding is I, I agree with you on the process. Like we brought Vincent in. Um, gosh, how many years ago was it now? Eight. Eight years ago. I've not been fired on a borrowed time. And we <laughs> we love old. him. He's great. No, no. Um, I love him too. But like we made so many changes over the years and just to see the impact of the little things that we've done here and there and, you know, and then we'll tweak it and then we'll change it so that it gets better. And just to see our district just grow and improve. And even with the massive amounts of people that are moving in, I mean, that's, it's hugely rewarding to make a difference in the community, to make a difference in kids' lives, to make a difference in families. I mean, it really doesn't get better than that. I would really agree with that. I mean, you know, again, going back to process things, one of the things that the state, the state of Texas is the first in the nation to do, you know, we've all gone to digital textbooks, right? There's all the learning materials digital, and it's becoming more and more so every year. And um, the problem is we don't have uh, something called interoperability. And I know that sounds like, oh, okay, now it's time to tune out. It's just interoperability. What in I'm the actually world? getting excited. I'm ready. <laughs> what, is the, what in the world is that? Um, and so one of the problems is that if you are uh, 
let's say you've got several different types of resources that you're looking at as a, as a, as a history teacher and you have different resources. Every publisher has put their own proprietary way of searching for those resources and organizing those resources. Even though it's digital, everybody's got their own system. But I have been pushing for three years now um, that you you have to have um, an open source uh, set of standards that uh, is being provided by um, IMS Global is a standards organization that puts together standards that publishers can or you know may not choose to adopt. But I've been letting the publishers know now for several years we're headed this way. You're going to have to adopt standards of searching and gathering and organizing data because I, as a teacher, should not have to, okay, how do I, in this system, you know, you're never going to use your system efficiently and all that information efficiently unless you have standardization across the platforms and not proprietary ways of getting that information. Oh yeah. Because we're actually looking at books right now and exactly. I have been with you, those third grade teachers, they can tear it apart and they have said, and you were talking like a teacher very much. So that would be valued. Yes, exactly. So, uh, in working with the, uh, Texas education agency and kind of pushing this initiative that we need to adopt these interoperability standards, um, for our, our stand, for our TEKS, our curriculum standards that are approved by the state board, we have now done that. And we're the first state in the country who has is now requiring publishers for this next uh, set of textbooks coming in. If you're going to submit something, you have to adopt interoperability standards that we have set as a, as a state um, that for our TEKS, Everything will be uh, able to be pulled up and organized and, and, and accessed very easily. So that is a huge change. And again, it's not one of those that I can run down the field and say, look, interoperability. But for those teachers, yeah, but for those teachers, that's that's huge. So, so my big thing is problem solving. <laughs> you know, I, I, I get I hear from from local districts, boards of trustees, from mostly from educators. Here are problems that we have. And so I feel that my job is to try to figure out how can we solve those problems um, at a state level if I can do it. So, Susie, your chance, what is the greatest thing you get to do? Um, well, I would say, uh, you know, most parents join PTA for their kid to, in, um, to enrich their child's educational experience. But as I've um, taken on this state role, um, my perspective has changed a lot. And I think we're really blessed in Wiley to have the family engagement that we do have and um, a district that embraces that. Um, but as I go into other areas, I think it's super rewarding to be the boots on the ground that creates that family engagement that doesn't exist in some of those areas. Um, those kids don't have that yet. And so getting to, to create that from the ground up and, and making a difference for those kids has been super rewarding. And Donna, let me brag on her a minute because we always say she's our hazmat crew. <laughs> Literally, when we have Everyone a problem, she can we put the suit her. on, there's a problem, <laughs> and she'll tame it, and she'll bring people in, and it's valued. Because you know what? She loves those mamas. She loves those dads. And if you look at our success, a lot of it is because we opened up this this framework of parental involvement. And, you know, the board is so happy with me and saying, Dave, make sure, see what, what is it, what is it? PTA, what do parents say? And so we survey all the time. We get their input, and they they know that we're listening, and that there's a value to that. Now, there is some part of when we talk about the long-range plans for parents, and is there things that we haven't mentioned that you want to discuss about that? 
Um, I, I think that, that the main thing that, that we already talked about, uh, a couple of things on there that I think are just super important, uh, we, we covered already. Uh, and, and I think that whole idea of parental engagement and empowerment, really, what does that mean? It, it isn't just, okay, well, I've invited parents in and I've told them how things are three times this year. That That isn't engagement and empowerment. You The engaging of the the parents through surveys and that sort of thing. You have to build a relationship of trust over time that what the parents might tell you and how they uh, react to the various things and things are not done deal by the time they hear about them. Um, builds a culture of trust that makes all the difference. There, you know, it, It's about the school climate. It's about what, and school climate isn't just about how the teachers feel or how the students feel, it's also how the parents feel. And so that is something that I think our, our long-range plan for public education is really trying to get a focus on. And that's why we think it needs to be focused at a, le a state level. Um, there are things in place that need to be encouraged. And, and so um, I love that you use the word um, empowerment as well as just yeah. engagement. And that one of the recommendations is um, educating parents on how to navigate the school system, which Absolutely. I think most of us have no clue <laughs> yeah. how to how to do that and i love and we're that you're so focusing acronym on that rich, and of right? course pta like, is a great vehicle for for training exactly. those parents through parent education um yeah. on how to how to navigate that system so we would be remiss if we didn't tell you and, and then ask your opinion on this a focus that we've had is bringing counseling is a central part of our academic experience and so you know, I know that Amanda leads all of our counselors in our social emotional learning and character education. Um, is there something that you'd like to cover with regard to this because we're wrapping up as far as the last question goes? Well, of course, I was just happy to see a number one by recommendations where it talks about collaboration with school counselors, workforce boards, things like that. Because as you said, obviously, we're trying to prepare our students for a life after they leave us. And um, but we want to make the most of the time of when we have them. And I appreciate any sort of intervention happening instead of like we're talking about safety and security, not just always reacting to tragedies, but really trying to do the hard work ahead of time in our schools. Um, what what are your thoughts on that? And why did you bring that up in your um, recommendations on the long range? Well, plan? it's because, you know, just from talking to many counselors, I, I, I've spoken to many counselors about this and actually, you know, what they would tell me is, well, I couldn't tell you what's happening with any particular child unless I dig through and try to figure out, you know, what's the status of that. There isn't any way to just like pull that information up. And frankly, counselors, uh, you know, super often principals feel that counselors are just part of the group that they can pull off for various things, uh, lunch duty, bus duty, you know, testing oversight, whatever it is. And counselors haven't had anything to show, look, this is the body of work that I'm doing. That's why I feel that a systemized way of handling all of the work that school counselors do um, so that they can show what they're doing and how many students they're interacting with and how many support groups, support systems um, that they're acting, interacting with in order to pull together the appropriate supports for students. We've just got to, that's a, this is the thing whose time has come. I mean, we can't say we're going to, you know, be in the corner for all students and provide support for all students without having a system to do it. And so um, I was just looking at that practical 
application again about solutions. Okay, that idea is great, but how in the world, you know, how in the world do you realistically do that? And it can't be on pieces of paper. It cannot be in an Excel spreadsheet. Um, often folks don't even know on the campus what support services they have because there's been a great deal of turnover. Principals every three years, they're switching out. And so you get a new team in, that team is not quite sure, has to dig through the papers to figure out who's, who's even coming to campus. Um, you know, those are the kinds of things that if you have a system to handle it, will not be a barrier. So I have one last question. And unfortunately, it's gotta be like a minute long because I'm running out of time here. We would ask if in one way we could help and you could wave a magic wand and it would happen, what can we as a local school district do to support you and the State Board of Education? Well, I, I would love it if there was a, a, a focus by the boards of education. I'm kind of excited. Um, the local boards, I've even heard from a few of them that are like have taken what the board is recommending on both the visions and the actual recommendations to kind of a, accomplish the visions. Um, and having meetings um, at their local board meetings to talk these through and see, okay, where can we, as our responsibility as pointed out in the plan for long range, long range plan for public education, where can we have an impact on that vision or, or embrace that recommendation? So that to me makes this worth the work um, because I, I always get concerned when, you know, things come out and it's like, okay, isn't that nice? And then it gets set on the shelf um, and there isn't any real look at that. And so I would love it if local boards of education would look at the things that are in here in all four of these areas, because they're important areas. And then how can they specifically uh, work on these? Amanda, I did not know what we were going to get out of this, but oh, we got either. a lot, didn't I we? I learned a lot. We could <laughs> I'm actually always go like, what on. podcast are we doing so I can learn a bunch of stuff? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And this has been such an exploration, guys. And so Donna Bohorich, chair of the state board of education for texas the greatest state of all states and we appreciate right. you and thank you so much for being here thank you so much it's been a real honor for me